of addresses on religion, speeches to its cultured despisers. And that points out an important thing that we'll see as we go along in the 19th and 20th century, that Christianity will remain in many places still strong and influential among what we might call more common people, but with declining influence amongst the power brokers, the intellectual power brokers, the political power brokers. And we don't have to stretch our imaginations very far to understand that because we see that in our world today, don't we? That uh, vast sections of America are still religious, are still church-going, are still pious, are still Bible-believing, but the cultural elites in America, those who control the universities, those who control public media, uh, these people, by and large, are not interested in that, are not convinced of the importance of that. I suspect there were many more people in church in Florida on Sunday than were in Daytona Beach at the raceway uh, for the Daytona 500. And yet there was no media coverage of church attendance yesterday, but huge media coverage of this auto race. I don't understand auto racing. I won't get into that because I'll get in trouble. But mm, mm, I, I, <laughs> hours of that. I, anyway, um, the... I don't see how that even makes good video, except for the crashes. Anyway, um, we're going to see this widening gulf as we go through the 19th and 20th century between the cultured despisers of Christianity and the continuing influence and um, presence and vitality of Christianity in many people, both in Europe uh, and in America. But the reality, as we're going into the 19th century, is that the French Revolution becomes sort of the great event against which much in the 19th century is measured. Late 18th century, the French Revolution, uh, the monarch is overthrown and then guillotined. Terror takes over an effort that initially was an effort to establish democracy. And then the whole thing ends up with Napoleon establishing, in effect, monarchy all over again. But this moment of dramatic change in Europe, this evidencing that not only can a monarchy and a government be overthrown, but many of the elite, the aristocrats, can similarly be executed or exiled, and that an experiment in a whole new way of organizing government and organizing society can be violently introduced, that led Europeans throughout the 19th century to think, are we all headed towards revolution? Would heading towards revolution be a good thing or a bad thing? What kind of government would we actually want, ideally? And you have this very interesting development in the course of the 19th century. In 1804, almost at the beginning of the 19th century, Napoleon has himself crowned as emperor of France as emperor of the Republic of France. Now, you try to explain that to me, exactly how that works, uh, how a republic will functionally have an emperor. Of course, it's really not a republic at, at all. It simply is an imperial monarchy. So the efforts at democracy in France fail in the French Revolution. Napoleon becomes an emperor. 
1848 in Europe, so sort of right in the middle of the century, there are uprisings in various parts of Europe to try to change the old order, to introduce more democracy into European governments. Those uprisings in 1848 largely fail, and as the century wears on, the monarchies of Europe seem actually to be strengthening themselves. At least many of them are, and uh, the German king becomes a German emperor by the 1870s. Queen Victoria is made Empress of India in 1877. I think the British want to keep up. Uh, The Germans have an emperor, the French have an emperor, the Austrians have an emperor. We want an emperor. Well, actually, they wanted an empress. Uh, And so she's never quite empress of England or Britain, but she does become empress of India.